Morning, church. How we doing? You excited to be here? You guys sounded great singing, man. It's so nice to just hear a room full of voices. Amen? Amen. Hey, I need your help filling out some statements. I need your help of filling in some blanks for me, some phrases here. Check both ways before you cross the street. Now, if you said road, then you're from the country. Because streets don't exist in the country. It's try, check, the, check both ways before you cross the road or cross the street. That's useful information. How about this one? You probably say this at night if, if you are a parent. Hey, at bedtime, don't forget to brush your teeth. All right, this simple phrase we all learn. In fact, I've got an eight-year-old and a five-year-old, and the other day I had to pull up pictures of people's teeth who were like rotting to encourage them or to make them afraid. Like, hey, if you don't brush your teeth, this is what could happen. You know, their response is, they're baby teeth, they'll fall out, but no, no, you're missing the point, right? Brush your teeth. What about this one? Uh, be nice to your neighbor. In my context, be nice to your sister. Be nice to your brother. Or you might say, don't be mean. Right? Be nice to your siblings. We just went on vacation this past week, and we spent several hours in the car, the four of us, and this was repetitive. Quit being mean. Quit pinching. Be nice to your brother. Be nice, usually. Be nice to your sister. Right? What, what about this one? Respect your elders. That's when we grew up here. And, you know, people today will say, oh, kids these days, they don't know how to respect their elders. But you guys finished out the statement. So apparently we're still saying it. Maybe we're just not living it. All right. What, what about this one? This could be really useful. If it's yellow, let it mellow. If it's brown, never mind. We'll, we'll just, we'll continue on. But that could be useful with kids, right? Who want to flush everything down the toilet. Uh, and then lastly, you don't have to repeat everything you hear or you know, right? If you're a parent, you know you have a conversation with your spouse and little ears are listening. You just didn't realize it. Then you're in another context. The kid repeats what you said and it's a little embarrassing. And you're like, hey, you know, you don't have to share everything you know, right? We've, we've kind of started like, hey, don't repeat this. And then we'll, which I don't know if that's a good strategy or not, right? But but we all have these sayings, don't we? Some of you might have grown up with sayings that are inappropriate and we can't repeat them in church. But we all learned these sayings growing up that we just started using in our own lives to train typically our children. And we know that kids need direction. We know that kids, children need guidance. You show me a child without direction or guidance and I'll show you a child I don't want to be around very long. Because they need direction. They have to be taught how to act in situations. And so over time, we've just developed these concise little phrases to help teach kids how to grow up and be responsible people by respecting their elders and brushing their teeth and doing these correct behaviors. And those are useful sayings. I want to teach you another phrase this morning. And uh, you'll, it's called Ezeret Debrot. Anybody know what that means? Yeah, it's not English, so don't feel bad that you don't know what it is. It's actually Hebrew. And this was the original language used to describe the Ten Commandments. Uh, we're in a series called the Top Ten where we're looking at the Ten Commandments. And this Hebrew phrase actually means sayings. And so when the Hebrews would talk about the Ten Commandments, they didn't refer to them as God's Ten Commandments. They referred to them as God's Ten Sayings or his Ten Statements. 
And I don't know about you, but maybe that changes the way we should think about the commandments. We, in, in our Western culture, have called them commandments, rules that we got to follow because we like rules. But in the original language, it was much more referred to as sayings given by God. That these are sayings, advice, direction given by God to his children to help them live a life well. And, and not given to us by this authoritarian God who wants to thumb his creation and catch them in the act and punish them. They're not a list of commands that we should just follow no matter what. They are sayings. They are statements from a loving father given to his children to help them lead a good life. To help them to be in right relationship with God. And so that's how I want us to think about these Ten Commandments this morning. Last week, Fitz kicked us off in the series by looking at the first commandment, which is to have no other gods before God, to to keep God in the right place. And that flowed out of the story where God had freed the Israelites from Egypt and led them out of slavery. And then he said, hey, keep me first. And Fitz taught us last week that sequence matters. To keep God first. And because sequence matters, I'm going to skip ahead to the fourth commandment this morning. Fitz is out of the country, so what's he going to do? We're going to skip ahead. Yes, it is important. Sequence matters in that you keep God first. And everything else flows out of that. And each saying, each command can kind of stand on its own. And so throughout this series, we're going to kind of skip around in order. I hope that doesn't mess with anyone's minds. It's okay. And we're going to skip ahead today. And look at this saying from God. Find it in Exodus 20, 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so this is the command, the saying that I want to look at with you this morning. And it sounds pretty straightforward, doesn't it? Work six days and take a day off. Uh, Growing up, I remember my dad telling me, you know, when I was a boy, all the stores were closed. Nothing was open on Sunday. Right, And maybe Chick-fil-A has carried that into our current context. But just about everybody else sees Sunday as another day to possibly make a buck. And so we know that keeping the Sabbath is important. And so I want to talk about that with you this morning. And it seems simple, but it's really hard to fulfill, isn't it? It's really hard to rest. It's really hard to Sabbath because a lot of us have demanding jobs. Uh, We have demanding schedules, right? There's always dishes to be done, laundry to do, grass to be cut, a home repair to make, a family member in need. There's always something that seems to be demanding our time. And so while on the surface, I think it would seem, okay, I'll just, I'll work less and that'll make God happy. I don't know that that's what God intended for his people. And so I want to continue to look at that this morning. It's really hard to do this. We have another phrase that we like to say. You snooze, you lose. Right? If we're not up and at it, if we're not hustling, we're going to miss out. 
If you snooze, you lose. What about this next one? The early bird gets the worm. Get up, get to work. And there's, yes, there's truth in this, right? That you need to be hardworking. I'm not discounting the value of hard work by any means. But we have these phrases where we tend to think that rest is actually laziness. That many times we will think if someone rests, if someone intentionally doesn't do something, that they must be lazy in some way. We may not actually tell them that. We might just think it internally. And yet God is saying, take time and rest. And so I want to answer a question with you this morning. And that is, how do we, in our current context, in a world that is moving faster than maybe it's ever moved before, how do we follow this command? How do we do what God said? Work six days and take a day off. Remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. And so I want to look at that with you this morning. I want to offer three thoughts that I think might help us understand the Sabbath a little bit better and to practice it uh, correctly. And so here's thought number one. Did you know that the Sabbath actually provides freedom? Uh, the Sabbath, a day of rest, actually provides freedom. And, and think about this in context. The original people God gave this command to were three months removed from slavery. I would have to think that this command is put in context to their life circumstances. In Egypt, they were forced to work. It was mandatory. They were slaves. And so when God leads them out, he parts the Red Sea, he, he leads them out, they're going to become a new creation, a, a new a kingdom under his authority. And, and he says, hey, rest. Don't keep living like slaves. Don't keep working 24-7. My people will pause. My people will rest. And so actually, rest is about freedom. He's saying, yes, in Egypt, you had to work. You had to slave. You didn't have a choice. Now that you're my children again, I have freed you. Pause and rest. Take time and remember me. Remember the Sabbath. Remember all the things that I've done for you. Remember the time that you were crying in Egypt while you were enslaved and I heard your cries and I rescued you. Uh, remember when you walked up to the sea and it looked like you could not get past Pharaoh's army? I just parted the whole sea for you and you just walked across and then I made it collapse on Pharaoh's army. Not only did I set you free, I destroyed the army that was pursuing you. Remember all the promises that I have fulfilled in your life. Take time, pause, and remember me. That's what he's trying to tell the people. That it's important that if you want to maintain your freedom, rest. If you want to maintain your freedom, then rest. And so for us, do we take time? Do you take time to remember what God has done? Or are we still living like slaves? Because our natural tendency will be to gravitate towards slavery. We will enslave ourselves to the world. To work. To activity. To hobby. And so for us, do we take time and rest and remember what God has done? Or are we just living like slaves? When was the last time you just intentionally paused and thanked God for what he's done in your life? Maybe you need to close your eyes right now and just breathe and just thank God for some things that he has done in your life. Amen. I'm standing here talking 
and breathing and thinking and speaking at the same time. And I'm not doing any of it on my own. Thank you, God, for creating me. Thank you for creating my family, this blessing in my life. I thank you for forgiving me of my sins and setting me on a course of purpose and mission in life. Maybe for some of you, you've been freed from an addiction or some, some thing that was just holding you captive. When's the last time you stopped and just paused and said, God, I remember what my life was like when I was enslaved, but now I'm free. And thank you for that. All right, Sabbath will provide freedom. That's what God gave his people. He wants us to be free and not be under the curse of work all the time. A second thought would be that the Sabbath is intentional. So not only does the Sabbath provide freedom, this this period of rest, it also is intentional. Let's look back at the passage again. God said this, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, a resting period to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, nor your male or female servant. Nor your animals. Don't make your animals work. Nor any foreigner residing in your towns. I like this part. I'm just imagining this in real time. You know, they're like, well, hey, so we're going to rest, but we got all these foreign people in here. Let's have them work. And then we can feel good about ourselves and rest, but we'll force them to work for us. Well, now you're just becoming the people enslaving others. He's like, wait, 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 no, no. Even the people who are visiting you, they'll be free too. I want them to experience a life of freedom. And so he he says all this, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but on the seventh day he rested. And, and, you know, as I was reflecting on this, I got to think, I don't think God like collapsed on day seven. I don't think he worked so hard that on day seven he was like, I need a break. Right? God, God created all things in the six days and then he intentionally paused on the seventh. He intentionally took a break. I wonder what he did on that day. Maybe he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. Maybe he spent time with his creation. But he intentionally stopped. He intentionally paused. And so I think the point of what he's trying to say in in all those, those instructions was this. Plan time to spend with God. We live in a world that's moving quickly. And we're constantly involved in activity. But rest provides freedom. But we have to do it intentionally. Uh, I want to share a little fun science fact with you. Any science nerds in the room? I, I always sort of enjoyed science and social studies. But did you know that for most of human history, this is what people thought the world looked like? They thought the universe, the earth was in the center, and that the planets spun around the earth. This is called the geocentric model. And the idea was the, the earth was a fixed position and everything else revolved around it, which made sense. I'm here, I'm looking there, and everything else is moving, but I'm not. That makes sense when you don't have a lot of technology. And yet, in the 16th century, a scientist by the name of Copernicus actually said, you know what, I, I think maybe we're wrong. That's, that's a pretty bold statement to say, I think all of human history is wrong. I think maybe I've discovered something. And he discovered what he called the heliocentric model, which is the sun is actually the center of the universe. And yes, there's a planet missing. Uh, somebody first service told me it blame Google, but, um, all the planets revolve around the sun and the sun actually gives life to every 
thing else. How many of us still live as if we are the fixed position and everything revolves around us? That we're like the old model, where I'm in the fixed position and everything revolves around me. You ever notice how that's kind of life draining? Just doesn't seem to be a lot of joy in that. When we put things in its proper position, life and freedom emerge. You know, and, and think about this. In an agrarian society, agrarian means like a farming society, when God said, hey, rest, that's a big deal. They weren't still getting a paycheck even though they weren't working. Work meant survival. If I don't plant, if I don't harvest, if I don't grow, my family could starve. And so God is saying, you've got to trust me that I can do for you in six days what will take everybody else seven days to do. Trust me. When you organize your life, organize it around me and it will work out. Yes, I know the other nations, they're still making their weapons of war. And yes, they're still planting and they're harvesting. And it seems that they are advancing, but actually they're just digging deeper into their slavery. Put me where I belong. Let me be the center of your universe and plan your life around me. And so let me ask you this question this morning. Who is at the center of your calendar? And I didn't say what, I said who. Who is at the center of your calendar? Let's go back to the solar system picture. Who is here? Uh, Ladies, you're probably better at this. You probably actually keep like an agenda. Most of us guys, we sort of know what's going on and everything's floating around somewhere. And unless you tell us to pick the kids up at a certain time, there's a Really good likelihood we're going to forget. Um, so, guys, you probably need to sit down with your wives later or your significant other and look at your calendar. Lay out your calendar. Some of the ladies, you probably got it color-coded by kid. And you know exactly where everyone's going to be at what time. I wish I was that organized. But sit down and look at your calendar and ask yourself this question. Who is at the center of my calendar? What is taking that center spot where the sun should be? What's there? I think if you ask that question, it'll probably lift off the page at you. Is it your kids and all their sporting events? Have you organized your entire day, your entire week, your entire month, your entire year? Have you organized that around your kid's softball tournament? And I might be stepping on a toe there, but I live in this world. I understand I've got small kids. I understand the pressure of competitive sports and the importance of teamwork. I'm not devaluing that. I'm simply saying, is your entire life organized around your kids and their athletic competitions? Because I bet that's pretty draining. I bet there are days you get to the end and you are exhausted. Because that's not what is supposed to be at the center Let that revolve around your relationship with God. And I bet there will be joy coming out of time spent with your kids than burden. Maybe uh, for you, it's your vacation schedule. You might look and you're like, hey, I get three weeks off from work or two weeks off. And so we're going to do this vacation and this vacation. And so everything else is planned around my vacations, including church and friendships and everything. It's all planned around my vacation schedule because that's really important. I only get two weeks off a week, a year. But is that really what needs to be at the center of our lives? Maybe for you, it's your work. I understand there are jobs that are demanding and people are on call a lot. 
And there's, there's a lot of demands in our job. But is your entire schedule organized around your ability to work? If so, I bet you get to the end of the day and you're pretty tired. Or the end of a season and you're exhausted. And it's because it's life draining. It doesn't feel like freedom, does it? It feels like slavery. Maybe it's your hobby. Hobbies are good. I enjoy sports. I enjoy doing things. But is your hobby, is your entire calendar planned around your hobbies? And if so, there might need to be some reorganizing. That God says, hey, be intentional about putting me at the center of your lives and let everything else revolve around it. That's what he's telling them when he says, take a day off. Listen, you gotta do all your work. You gotta do everything you need to get done because I want you to take time and spend with me. So what you had to do, they had to plan their work schedule. They had to plant their harvest schedules. They had to plant their, they had to create their planting schedules around that day, not allow everything else to be the center. And so we have to trust that God will accomplish what he needs to accomplish if we'll just let him be at the center and you know, it's, it's personal to God. This Sabbath command is personal to God. And here's why. Thought number three. You see, the Sabbath is found in a person, not in a practice. The Sabbath is found, rest is found in a person, not in a practice. Look at how Jesus said it in Matthew. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The command to remember the Sabbath was a command to stay in relationship with Him, to pause from the things that will distract us, and to spend time with God, remembering Him and thanking Him for what. He is done. We find our rest in him, not in a practice. Uh, All the instructions for working six days and taking a day off and not letting your animals work and all those, those were very specific instructions. Because when he originally gave that command, they were without Christ. This was before Christ. And so they needed a practice. They needed a ritual to keep them connected to God, to keep them in close relationship with God. And so that was a very useful practice. But let me ask you this question. If rest is meant to bring us closer to God, what do we do with that once God is actually with us? If the Sabbath, if the practice was to help us get closer to God, what do we do once God is actually with us? There's this um, name we use for Jesus. It's usually around Christmas time. We don't use it much other time than that. Anybody know what I'm going to say? Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus came to this earth. He lived among us. We have a spirit in us. Emmanuel, God with us. And so for our context, we will not find rest ultimately in a practice. We will find rest in a person. And that person is Jesus. That person is is Jesus. We will find rest in Jesus. Jesus said it this way. He said, for the son of man is Lord. He's talking about himself. Even over the Sabbath. 
He's saying, I am greater than the Sabbath itself. Well, I want to be with the one who's greater than the practice. And so we will find rest ultimately not in practicing a Sabbath, not in following all the rules. I don't know about you, but I don't find a lot of rest in following laws. I find more rest in being with people and in a relationship with Jesus. We find rest in the person of Jesus, not in the practice of the Sabbath. It's only Jesus that can give us ultimate rest. And don't hear me wrong. If taking time off from work, if, if meditating, if prayer, if silence and solitude, if, if these are practices that you've implemented that help you grow closer to Jesus, then you should do that. But if you're just doing those things to try and keep some sort of law or command, then we might be missing the point. Because the point is to get as close to Jesus as we can. And so how do we, in our context, keep the Sabbath Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy? This is the answer. We remember the Sabbath and keep it holy by being united with Jesus. We remember the Sabbath and keep it holy by being united with Jesus. So if you don't have a relationship with Jesus today, there's no way you can keep that command. Because we ultimately have to be in relationship with Jesus in order to truly rest. Jesus is the only one that can save us from our tool, our toil, from our working hard, from our feelings of like, hey, if I do all the right things, that means maybe I'll get into heaven and I'll make God happy. Jesus is the only one that can provide us the rest that we need. And so if you don't have a relationship with him, I would encourage you today to seek that out so that you can rest. Because I'm sure there are many of you in here this morning that are probably tired. You've been trying to do all the right things, and yet somehow you still feel at the end of the day as if you are exhausted. And you're just in a rat race of life trying to get one kid to the next event, to the next event, to the next event, and trying to keep up with your calendar rather than keeping up with God. And maybe you've been a Christian your whole life. You're 50, 60 years into this thing. And sometimes you just feel as if you're just going through the motions. I get up, I go to church, I try to do the right things, I go to sleep but you haven't truly united yourself with Jesus every day and seek him out. I want you to hear this this morning. Jesus is our rest now and forever. It's in the person of Jesus where we will find rest as he is Lord of the Sabbath, over the Sabbath. Being united with him in relationship will give us rest now. He will guide us and give us direction, speak to us. But he will ultimately provide rest in paradise, in a place where there will be no more mourning or work or hard labor or slavery or division or tears or mourning or crying or pain. All those things will be gone because a new world will have come. And so Jesus will give us rest now, but also forever. I want you to say this statement with me. Jesus is my rest now and forever. Let's say that one more time. Jesus is my rest now and forever. Yes, there are some things we can do, some practical things we can do to slow our lives down. Maybe it's to reorganize your calendar. Maybe it's to consider how you need to practice your freedom and be intentional about that. 
But if it's just doing those things without trying to grow closer to Jesus, then maybe you should just go on living your life. But if you want ultimate rest, if you want a peace in your soul that transcends all understanding, it's only found in Jesus and in his love and in his sacrifice because Jesus is my rest now and forever. Amen? Amen. There's a, a 30 minute time frame every evening that I love. It's like one of the highlights of my day. I'm kind of an evening person, so it makes sense. But there's about 30 minutes I enjoy with my kids at the end of the day. And you might think because I'm a preacher, it's like some real intense prayer time right before my kids go to bed, but it's actually not that. It's actually the 30 minutes right before we tuck them in their bed and pray to God Almighty that they stay there all night. It's that window right before that moment. They get their baths and they hopefully they've brushed their teeth and they're, they're cleaned up. And I sit down in the chair and some, usually there'll be something on TV. We might turn on part of a movie or a show. And, and almost every single night, my eight-year-old boy and my five-year-old daughter will walk across the room. Usually my daughter's carrying a blanket. And they'll crawl into my lap and they'll just cover us up with the blanket. And we just sit there for like 30 minutes. Sometimes we talk. Sometimes we're just watching TV and it's not what's on the TV that's so important. But we just spend 30 minutes and it's, it, we didn't actually plan that. It just started happening. But it's one of my favorite times of the day. They just crawl right up into my lap and they just sit in the chair and we got the blanket and sometimes we talk and sometimes we don't. But I love it. It probably makes their mom feel bad because they walk to me instead of her. But they love her, I'm sure, you know. She gets their snack, and then they're in my lap eating their snack. But I love it. And I have to think that maybe that is a good picture of how to Sabbath well. To find regular time to intentionally be with God. To intentionally crawl into the arms of a father who loves you. And maybe you talk, and maybe you don't. But you take regular time to be in the arms of a father who loves you, to just be in his presence. Let's pray. God, thank you for rest. Thank you for freeing us because God, we know that our ultimate, our, our most likely attitude is to drift into slavery not by anybody else's choice, but by our own. So many times we will just enslave ourselves to busyness and life and activity and hobby and work and all those things that could be good, but so many times overtake us. So thank you for telling us to pause and to rest just like you did and to remember you. God, help us to be intentional about planning our lives around you to put you at the center of everything. So help us as we evaluate our lives, as we plan ahead, that we put you at the center of our calendars and our schedules and we plan everything else around that because life will be found there. And Jesus, thank you for giving your life, for giving, of, for giving us of our sins so that we could be in relationship with you. Help us to just crawl into your arms regularly and just be in your presence. It's in your name we pray. Amen.